Hey everyone, this is Ron Dante. I was the singing voice of Archie Andrews on The Archie Show and recorded The Amazing Spider-Man, a rock comic. And you're listening to Comic Book Central, where comic books come to life. Hey there, all you groovy guys and gals. Welcome to Comic Book Central, where comic books come to life. I am your host, Joe Stuber kicking off a celebration of 75 years of Archie Comics. Man, this is going to be fun. That's right, Archie Andrews, that red-headed rascal from Riverdale, he appeared for the first time back in 1941, Pep Comics, issue number 22 to be precise. And I'm telling you what, Archie Comics, ah, oh, the nostalgia here. I love Archie Comics. When I first started reading comics back in the 70s, Archie's, oh, those were some of my favorites. So many titles. Oh, man, I had a bunch of Archie comics. And the digests, those were cool. Those little uh, pocket-sized comic books with Archie, Archie comic stories. Those are fun, too. Now, on today's show, we're time-tripping back to the 1960s when Archie and the gang got animated for Saturday morning television. Joining me in just a few minutes is the man who delivered hit record after hit record as the singing voice of Archie Andrews. Ron Dante, he is going to be here. Man, this is going to be some fun. Big thanks, by the way, to listener Jeremy Lamastis. Jeremy is a huge Archie's fan, and he wrote into Comic Book Central and asked what Ron Dante is up to these days. So, Jeremy, you're about to find out in just a few minutes. So thanks for writing in. Now, before I get to today's chat in the lair, Quick reminder, if you're listening to this episode of Comic Book Central on the premiere date, that's Saturday, April 30th, then today is the closing date for nominations on the People's Podcast Awards. So if you'd like to nominate Comic Book Central, you haven't done so already, you've been meaning to get to it, you've got a brief window here. So push pause, do it first. <laughs> I'll stay here. I'll be here when you get back. Push pause, head over to the website. It's podcastawards.com. There you can nominate Comic Book Central in two categories, People's Choice as well as TV and Film. For the podcast name, of course, Comic Book Central. You type that in the field. For the URL, it's comicbookcentral.net. You fill out those fields for both categories, People's Choice, TV and Film. Name, email address, send it along. It's as simple as that. Huge thanks to everyone who has nominated Comic Book Central. I really appreciate it. That is huge. The instructions for nominating the show, you can find them pinned to the top of the Comic Book Central Facebook and Twitter feeds. If you don't already uh, follow Comic Book Central on Twitter, it's at ComicBookCTRL. Head over there. Facebook, it's Facebook.com slash Comic Book Central Network. I've pinned those instructions to the top of those pages. Links to the Facebook page and Twitter can be found on my website. It's ComicBookCentral.net. So all that stuff's out there. Again, you listeners who have done this, who have taken a minute or two to be able to nominate Comic Book Central, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for doing that. So glad you all could join me today. Man, we're going to have some fun. Take a quick listen to this, get some background on my special guest today, and then I'm going to be right back to get the party started with the one and only Ron Dante. You know the hit songs. Tracy, when I'm with you, something you do bounces me off the ceiling. Tracy, day after day, when you're this way, I 
get a love and feeling. You know the catchy jingles. But you might not know the name of the man behind that singing voice. He is Ron Dante. Ron was born in Staten Island, New York. He developed an interest in music at an early age. And in the early 60s, he started working for mega music mogul Don Kirshner, the man who produced the music for the Monkees. And by the late 60s, Kirshner was looking at producing another musical act, this time from the four-color world of comics, the Archies. Filmation Studio already had success with Superman, Superboy, and Aquaman cartoons. Now producers were turning their attention to the world of Riverdale. Archie Andrews, Betty Cooper, Veronica Lodge, Forsyth P., Jughead Jones, and Reggie Mantle would make up the band on screen for the Filmation Studios project, and Kirshner's anonymous musicians would provide the bubblegum soundtrack for the Saturday morning CBS series. This band, of course, was led by the vocal talents of Ron Dante. Let's drop a quarter in the giant jukebox and dig on some of these far-out favorites. Bang Shang a Lang. I saw her from the corner of my eye. Yeah, she looked so good, I thought I'd die. My heart went bang shang a lang. Bang shang a lang. Bang shang a lang. Bang bang. Sunshine. And of course, the number one smash hit, Sugar Sugar. And Archie isn't the only classic comic character Ron channeled. He also sang on the very cool and highly unusual 1972 Marvel album, The Amazing Spider-Man from Beyond the Grave, a rock comic. The fictional band this time? The Web Spinners, naturally. Now, this high-concept album tells a dark, dream-infested tale of Peter Parker's origin as the Web Spinner, plus his battles with numerous supervillains are brought to life, and we get a final throwdown with the Kingpin, featuring a very disturbing appearance by Doctor Strange. Now, this sought-after collectible also features stunning artwork by jazzy John Romita Sr., a pre-Star Trek Deep Space Nine Rene Aubergenois as Peter Parker and Spider-Man, and four original songs featuring Ron as Spidey on vocals. You get the theme from Spider-Man. to be free it's such a groove to be free leave my teenage troubles behind stronger the man
Going Cross Town. Going Cross Town, gonna brawl tonight. Gonna kick a tail or two. Teach a bad dude a lesson that he better stop messing with the likes of me and you. Around the time of this recording, Ron met another artist who was working in the world of commercial jingles. You might have heard of him, Barry Manilow. Ron went on to produce numerous Manilow recordings, several Broadway shows. He recorded his own solo albums, and today he still tours, bringing that infectious bubblegum Archie sound to a new generation of comic book-loving pop music fans. And joining me today is an accomplished singer-songwriter who recorded smash hits with the Cufflinks, the Web Spinners, and of course, the Archies. He has also worked with Cher, Pat Benatar, and Barry Manilow. Today, it's about to get musical here in the lair as I welcome the great Ron Dante. Ron, welcome to Comic Book Central. Thank you, Joe. Great to be here. Man, I, just, I don't even know where to begin with your... Well, let's go back to the beginning. <laughs> let's, there's just so, so many different people that you've worked with, so many crazy cool projects you've worked on. Uh, where did the interest in music first begin? I was very fortunate to grow up in a um, kind of a musical family. My father always sang a bit. My mother always danced and sang a bit. Nothing professional, but being in a big Italian family, uh, there was lots of music around all the time. My dad was a huge pop fan and bought these records and played them on the old Victrola, as they called it. And uh, I would be exposed to all those 50s artists that uh, that were emerging. And, of course, uh, the first influence was Elvis Presley. Uh, and then all the others that came after that, groups like the Platters or uh, any of the great 50s artists, uh, the Everly Brothers. Uh, so I, I grew up on that. And uh, I really was interested in music and singing right from the beginning. I used to imitate an, a, a guy named uh, Johnny Ray, who was very popular with my, in my dad's generation. And his big thing was to sing. And then in the middle of his song, he'd get emotional and rip his coat off. And uh, that's what I would do as a six-year-old. I would sing, I would sing in front of my parents and rip my coat off. You know, just take it off and be, be emotional. And that was my first influence. It was almost like a James Brown first. kind of thing, too, wasn't it? It, it was. It was kind of Jack and James Brown kind of thing. Yeah. Well, okay, so singing was the appeal, or, I mean, did you think about playing an instrument at all? Because I read somewhere that it was like a, sort of an, an, an unfortunate thing that may have led to your guitar playing. Yes, I, the story is, and it's true. I, I, I was I was a real active kid, climbing trees and mountains and all kinds of stuff in my where I grew up, and, and I fell out of a tree, busted my arm up, and the doctor said this is going to stunt your wrist. You may have a stiff wrist the rest of your life, so you should you should do something with it. So uh, he said you could you could squeeze a ball or maybe take up an instrument. So I always wanted to play guitar, so my dad got me a little guitar, and I started to play guitar at 11 years old. 12 years old. Uh, was that part of the Elvis influence too? Like, like the singing, guitar playing, getting up and doing things? Yes, that definitely was part of it. What kind of songs were you playing right off the beginning? Like, so did you take professional lessons or did you learn by, by ear? How did, you, how did that work out that you were able to, to pick that up? Yeah, I had a guitar player. Uh, I had a, a uh, guitar teacher for a couple of years who taught me the basics, but he was teaching me the old-fashioned stuff you know, Malaguena and, uh, you know, Sweet Georgia Brown. And he was t- teaching me things from his generation. I, I kind of hated it. <laughs> but I learned the basics of guitar, and, uh, and I started to play my own, uh, my own music of my own time in the you know, late 50s. Okay. And, uh, and uh, you know, doo-wop was part of it, a lot of three-chord three songs. 
the Book of Love, you know, Chuck Berry and uh, you know, Bo Diddley. I would play all those kind of things. Dion and the Belmonts, all these great groups of the time and they, that were, you know, very popular. And I started to even write uh, at 13. I started. I wrote my first song called Hey Baby because I thought there were a lot of songs that had baby in the title. <laughs> that's so, a safe so bet. I, that, that, that's right. <laughs> and it's still... It's still popular, baby. You can, yeah, you can it's, run a song today and have a baby hit. Yeah, so so I was just uh, I was just, just loved it. I just, it was my it was my escape. Were you playing anywhere? Was it in front of friends and family? Was this at school events? Were you actually getting paid gigs to go out? How how did that progress? Uh, I finally formed a group. Uh, me and two of the guys in in, in the neighborhood uh, was, uh, had a we kind of a band at about fourteen years old. And, and we started to play our local CYO centers and uh, things on the East Coast. Uh, we actually got bookings to play, uh, you know, our, our, we knew 10 songs and we played them over and over again. And uh, it was great. Uh, actually, I got to one New Year's Eve. I, I was like uh, 15, I think. I made, uh, I made $75 for the, for the night. Nice. And I was like, that was a ton of money. Yeah. I, I, said, I said, this is the business for me. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we actually got paid. So you were the real Archies. I mean, the Archies were fictional, but you like you actually were the Archies. We're very similar. Riverdale was Staten Island was very much like Riverdale at the time. It was, it was there were trees and a soda shop, and, and uh, kids. I went to a, a parochial school. Uh, it was it was an interesting time, and it was very similar to the, the Riverdale of, of my imagination that I read about all the time because I, I was a huge co- comic book fan. I mean, be, be seen between between uh, Strange Tales and Archie comics, uh, they, were, they were all over my room. Okay, so you were a fan of Archie from the early on. Early on, I, I knew I knew the characters. I knew I knew exactly who they were, and uh, they were friends of mine. Uh, you know, I, I you grew knew up them with all. the <laughs> Yes, there was a Jughead in your life. There was no Jughead, but there was definitely a Betty and Veronica. Oh, okay. Oh, wait, yeah, even better. My, yeah, my neighbors. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. so, okay, well, that's interesting. So there was a love triangle with Ron Dante and the neighborhood group? No, they may have been on my side, but not from their side. <laughs> we, were too, we were just kids, you know, yeah. Okay, so this is totally one-sided. Yeah. Okay, I, th- I thought maybe you had, like, two girls fighting over you, like Archie Andrews. That would have been, like, so cool. But like, but like most most of us nerds, it was always just <laughs> fictionalized in our head. In, our, in my head, yeah. <laughs> there's those great stories playing out. Fodder for songs, as the, for those baby songs that come out. Um, now, how did yeah. you become involved with Don Kirshner? Uh, a friend of mine took me, got me a, a, a management deal with a fella in uh, in New York City, a guy named Bobby Breen, who handled. He was a child star, and he had a little management firm in a in a building, 1650 Broadway. And it was it was one of the unbelievable music buildings. Uh, aside from another building across the street called the Brill Building, these were the two major music business uh, buildings in New York City and on the East Coast. This was the mecca of of, of music and and entertainment. And I was I was in that uh, office, and his secretary said, "You know, you're wasting your time with Bobby. You should go upstairs and and get, get to the Kirshner Publishing Firm. They 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 might want to uh, sign you up as a songwriter." So I was only about 16 and a half, 17. And uh, I went upstairs, uh, waited in the waiting room. They said, all right, we'll put you together with some of the songwriters there. And they listened to me, and they all said, yeah, we like, we like what you do. Uh, we're going to introduce you to Don Kirshner. Wow. And I went into Don Kirshner's office as a young teenager. He had a be- beautiful white piano in there. 
and everybody has like drinks on in in, in pockets of the uh, piano. That it was that kind of a, a you know a piano that that had more than just you know keys on it. And in one pocket there were jelly beans and stuff. I said I like this guy, you know. <laughs> and uh, he, he he listened to me. He said, Yeah, kid, we're going to sign you. And, and he signed wow. me up. To and how old were you? Man. I was I just I was just turning seventeen. Whoa. And he, uh, yes, and he. Uh, he said, you're going to be staff demo maker where you'll write songs, but you'll also sing for the other writers and do their demos of their songs. Okay. Uh, so I got to work for Carole King and Jerry Goffin and uh, Barry Mann and Cynthia Weil, who wrote, uh, you know, uh, You've Lost That Love and Feeling. And I got to meet uh, Tony Orlando and Neil Sedaka, who was staff uh, singers. So it was, it was an amazing time. And how does a 17-year-old handle that? How, how, do you, how do you handle that? Well, I, I have to tell you, I, I, I knew I could sing, and I knew I could write, kind of. So I had some confidence, even as a young man. And I, I knew that uh, if a man like Don Kirshner wanted to sign me, I must be okay. So <laughs> yeah. it, was like a, it, was like, it was a stamp of approval. You know, somebody believed in you. So I just reveled in the fact that I was in that office. I would come in early and stay late. And, and, and there were cubicles of little pockets of uh, offices where you could have a piano. And, and it was very small, but you could hear the next person writing songs across the way from you. But it was a magical time with, uh, with so much talent around that you could not believe. That's, uh, yeah, that is unbelievable, especially at that uh, age. Now, had you already been doing, um, had you already been with the detergents? Oh, no, this was, uh, this was like uh, three years, two, two, three years before the detergents. Oh, okay. So you, so where you're, you're writing all these songs, you're putting these things together and then you kind of get in, is it like parody songwriting from there? That was, a, that was just an accident. The detergents, uh, my fellow songwriters at, at, uh, Don Kirshner, uh, music and uh, Alden music, which they called it, uh, two, two friends of mine, we started to write a little bit together. And, uh, one of the, one of my friends, Tom, uh, Danny, uh, Danny Jordan, uh, his uncle was a hit songwriter who had written uh, Catch a Falling Star and Itsy Bitsy Teeny Weeny, Yellow Polka Dot Bikini. So uh, he had this idea to do a parody, his, his uncle. And he called, and he called Danny, said, bring Ronnie over and Danny and Tommy, all three of us. And we went over there and we, we became the detergents that night. We sang on this demo. And the demo came out two weeks later, became a hit. And it sold like 900,000 singles. And, uh, and, and they said, well, we're going to call the group the detergents. You guys want to be the detergents? We said, sure. And they said, well, we're going, to put, we're going to put you on the Dick Clark Caravan of Stars. I said, this is such a great thing. We got to go out for like a year touring with, uh, you know, we, we actually opened for the Rolling Stones in Philadelphia once. Okay. It was unbelievable. You know, just good fortune smiles on you when you, when you do good things and, and you're in the mix. What did your family think at that time? So you're going in, you're, you go in as a teenager, and next thing you know, you're touring. What is it, like uh, Herman's Hermits, Little Richard? Yes, Little Herman's Anthony. Hermits, yeah. Freddie like, and the Dreamers, <laughs> Herman's Hermits, Little Anthony and the Imperials. Uh, you name the groups. Uh, we, we toured the Shangri-Las, who had the big hit leader of the uh, pack. Oh. So, yeah, no, my parents were very proud and very happy, and they had prepared me for this. They, they, you know, they, they, they knew I had a good set of ethics, and, and, and I knew how to take care of myself in terms of, uh, you know, not getting caught in the wild bus antics or the hotels or the travels and stuff. They knew that I was a very grounded, uh, grounded kid. And, and I knew what I wanted. And, 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 I, and I wanted to enjoy it and I wanted to remember it. 
<laughs> and, I, and, and I did. A lot of my friends don't even remember those trips. That's always the part. Well, what's the joke? If you, if you remember the 60s, you weren't there or something? I mean, is that that's, the... That, that's the joke, Joe. Yeah. So, I mean, it's... Well, well good. You, you stayed clean. You remembered yeah. it. You had fun yeah, with it. I remembered it. And you yeah. got one of the most iconic characters. So, okay, how... When... Tell us how Archie Andrews first came into your life. When did you first hear about this project they were working on? What was involved in that, and how did you come to be involved as the singing voice of Archie Andrews? Well, um, I was I was doing uh, little background dates. I'd come off the road from uh, Dick Clark and uh, started my career as a, a studio singer in in New York City. And uh, a friend of mine, a good friend of mine named Ron Frangipani, a wonderful arranger, keyboard player, was uh, doing sessions for Don Kirshner and Jeff Barry. Uh, two people I had, of course, I had known John, uh, Don Kirshner early in my career, and I had done background sessions for this songwriter Jeff Barry, who actually wrote a big hit called "Be My Baby." So, and <laughs> along the with baby. thirty other, <laughs> yeah, his baby again. <laughs> so, so uh, my friend Ron said they're looking for a lead voice for this new TV series, an animated TV series for Saturday morning, uh, based on the Archie characters. And so he said, you should, you, you'd be perfect for it. So I said, Ronnie, thank you. I called my friend Don Kirshner. I said, I want to come up and sing for you. And he said, sure, come up to the studio. I went up to the studio that day and met with uh, Don Kirshner and uh, Jeff Barry. And they met, had me sing a song right there called Bang Shang Lang. And he said, well, oh, you'll, you'll be perfect for, for the voice, uh, the singing voice of the Archies. So that was it. I, they actually, we recorded that day. And um, I signed my deal a, a week later to be the singing voice of the Archies. And uh, that, that, became, uh, that became my job for uh, like uh, four years. I, I, I had a, every season we had to do another bunch of songs and uh, bumpers and commercials. So it was, it, was a, it was a beautiful thing. Okay, now take us back to that time. But, you know, for some listeners, you know, the, the, the whole music scene is completely changed these days as to what it was then. Take us back because you talk about like these fictional groups. Okay, the Archies. Yeah, there are actual people singing, but it's it's not like it's Ron Dante and the Archies or something. You know, what I mean, there's like this anonymity that's involved. We think about the Monkees, a, a totally manufactured group for a television show that turned into something else. Take us back to that time, and was this was the Archies coming out of a, uh, of Don Kirshner's frustration with live action musicians? No, everybody says that. No, it's not true. Don, okay. Don was just a great musical entrepreneur. Okay. And he knew this could, he said, he always knew television was the, was the thing. He, he, he saw it with the monkeys. He saw they became bigger than the Beatles for a couple of years. Yeah. He saw how popular the music could be if you, if you put great songs to it. So, no, he just had, uh, Filmation was the name of the company that was doing the Archie uh, series, TV series. They contacted Donnie because of the, the success he had had with the monkeys. And uh, he knew this was a good thing, and he put great writers into it, and and he put terrific uh, producers, and uh, and uh, so no, he just he just knew that this could happen. He said television was the way, video, and uh, he was a he was like the P.T. Barnum, if people remember P.T. Barnum. I, I guess some people the don't. Showman of, of the music business. He was a great showman. He knew how knew how to uh, get the public eyes on a project he was working on, and he did everything he could to make it a success. Yeah, because that's and, the story uh, we always hear, that it's just, you know, the monkeys got frustrated with, you know, the bubble, you know, bubblegum music, you know, as, it, as yeah. it was referred to, and that they wanted to do more serious things. So it's like, we always hear that he just wanted to work with cartoons. Yeah, no, it was just, he, he knew this was a great opportunity okay. to have his music supervision uh, on another successful project. 
he said it was going to go on the biggest net, one of the CBS networks every Saturday morning. I mean, and there would be two songs in each show and a, a theme song um, and a dance. So he he knew that this this was a great thing to do, and he, he was a visionary. I mean, he just he he took things right to the top. He was a great man. He was like one of the, he could be your best friend, and he never hurt anybody in the music business. And uh, the, the troubles he had with the monkeys were because he gave them too much success. <laughs> <laughs> they were huge. It was, it was too much success. They yeah. could not stand it. They were so popular, yeah. and they just couldn't believe. And they and they didn't realize it was the machine that made them successful, not their innate, innate talents. In some cases, although Mickey Dolan's is a great singer, Davy Jones is a terrific singer performer. God bless his soul. Yeah. But he never, uh, you know, he he put the platform together that made them a, a success and world famous. You know, well, what that's, was cool about the monkey? Say. What's cool about the monkeys was that they weren't satisfied with just you know, hey, let's record these, like let's tour, let's do this for real. And they, you know, I think they became accomplished musicians as time went on. Uh, they which, did. They became a good tight band. Yeah. And, uh, and and they did very well. Yeah, and, so cool and, to see and that. And they're still successful today. Yeah, it's amazing. Well, it, uh, when you can say bigger than the Beatles about anybody, that's you know that's always saying something too. For and a take, while. For a while. Yeah. So well, the Archies, the Archies came to life, and and I must say, uh, it was a thrilling ride. Yeah, I mean, it's all these incredible songs that came out. When you think about movies and uh, being made from comic books today, it's all about. A lot of well, you think about even Star Wars, the action figures, the toy, the, li- the licensing, the merchandising, all these different things that we see. Back then, it was more focused on the hit singles, wasn't it? Uh, yes, it was a hit singles market. Albums were just starting to become very famous, and a very um, people long play was becoming very popular. Uh, but uh, singles were still driving the market. Every album had to have a hit single, at least two or three on to, to get that album sold. And uh, it's great. And uh, nowadays, singles are coming back because people can just buy the one song that they like. You know? so right. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, we used it's to just go circle. by the 45 and, you know, just get the, the 45 and the vinyl and you go through. Now, let's talk about some of these. Um, let's talk about some of these songs you, you worked on for the Archies and also this kind of crazy crossover on the top 10 list that you had with the cufflinks. This was all going on at the same time, wasn't it? Yes. It was, okay. it was a magical time. Take, okay. Take me into that magical year of sugar, sugar. G- give us the Genesis of that. that song was so huge. Take us behind the scenes on that one. And then also how that you're, you're famous for these, infamous you know like like we don't know it's you it's this other band but you're famous for that and the cufflinks weren't real but then they became real kind of i was i'm a world famous they used to call it ghost groups and i was the king of the ghost groups (laughs) at one time i had recorded in one year i did 16 different groups uh i sang for like 16 at least maybe 20 and they were all singles put out and it's funny i'm putting out an anthology in august of my 16 favorite ghost groups oh that's a great idea Oh, that's yes. fantastic! Because we look at the okay, like I'm talking about the song Tracy. We love yes. Tracy. That's one of the greatest songs. There's no cufflinks, at least when you're no, singing no, it. It, <laughs> it was all me. I went yes. in. Uh, you know, I just a friend of mine. It's funny. The guy who wrote, the two guys who wrote, leader of the laundromat, <laughs> came up with this song Tracy, and they they called me back and they said, we know you. You know, would you please sing sing the demo for this? Yeah, this is Paul and Vance said, sure, and Lee Pockers. Yeah. Okay. Lee Pockers. And, and Paul Vance. Yeah. And uh, so I went in, I listened to it. I said, we, we got the key. I helped them arrange it a little bit, just a, a few touches here and there. And uh, 
in about two hours, I put on about 20 voices. I just kept doubling my voice, adding background parts. I wanted it to sound like the, uh, the, the grassroots of the association or the turtles, one of those big groups at the time, which had a lot of counterpoint singing in it. And it was fun, and I, I knew it was a really quality song. Uh, I love Tracy. And uh, sure enough, Tracy came out, and, and they, I saw, I didn't even know what they were going to call it, and all of a sudden I became the Cufflinks, which was fine. And we were on... Um, you became the, the cufflinks. There's like seven I, of them. Yes, I became the cufflinks, and they finally <laughs> put out a, a, a group on the road yeah. that went out and yeah. performed it with my lip syncing to my voice. But it was not; <laughs> they didn't sing it. I did a whole album of cufflink songs. And tell our, tell our listeners how quickly you put that album out of, and how many songs. Well, I did the whole album in a week. Uh, I did all the singing. They did all the tracking in a few days, and then they oh. put my voices on for like three days. Uh, somebody, it's so funny, the fellow who, uh, who arranged the, the violins and strings and horns on it was a guy named Rupert Holmes, who, who ended up writing his own big number one uh, the escape called the Pina Colada song. Pina Colada, yep. Which guy. we've heard in Guardians of the Galaxy. It's yeah, definitely. It's, so, um, yeah, oh. it, took, it took me a very short time to put all the... I love the songs that these fellows wrote, yeah. uh, had written uh, be, between Paul Vansley Parker. They were very talented guys. Uh, Lee, especially, great musician. So, um, yeah, that was, it, was a, it was a fun trip. How were you, when you're putting the song, so you're saying you're overdubbing, overdubbing, overdubbing. So what, give us an example of like the, the first track you lay down maybe, and then maybe some other tracks that you lay down to it. Well, on Tracy, I put down the lead. Uh, I, I sang it, and then I doubled up the, the sound of it. So there were two of me singing Tracy lead. And then I put some ba-ba-ba's behind that. And then on another track, I put some la-la-la's or ah's or sang along with the lead in harmony. So I, I just kept, it was, it's great. You always put the lead down usually because then that's the guide for the backgrounds. You know, well, this, this area needs to be pumped up a little bit. This, this chorus needs to be uh, more exciting, more harmonies in it. So I, I would just, my, my instincts were always good for, uh, for uh, adding voices to uh, any track. Okay. And, and my instincts have always served me well to know how to surround a lead voice. And, and know what to do. Also, the music in the track indicates where you should go. A guitar may play a riff that you have to, you say, gee, this would be great if the vo vocals did the guitar riff. So there's, there's, there's always indications, and, and it's just, it just comes together. It just comes together, and, and, it, and it's so much fun. Yeah. Uh, and and it, it doesn't take a lot before you have something that is very listenable. And if it doesn't work, you'll know in a minute. Yeah, yeah. You'll you know in a minute. You say, oh, this, this part is just it's taking, it's taking away from the lead instead of lead voice, instead of helping the lead voice. So you, you, always, you always have that in the back of your mind. What's a subtlety in that song, Tracy, that we might not know is in there that, that you particularly enjoy? Uh, let's see. Uh, when I go, come with me, don't say no. I, the, the voices repeat that little phrase in the song, come, come with me, and we answer, the background to answer the lead, and, and then there's also a, 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 a forlorn voice that goes, Tracy, I love you so, that kind of comes in off the lead, it, it wasn't originally part of the song, but I threw that in there, because I said there should be an echo of, of, the, of the, the, the fellow who's in love with Tracy, an echo of that line, and it worked, and it worked, and, and you can listen to it, and it sounds like, a, sounds like it was all meant to be. Yeah, I, I love this about it because you hear these songs and we're so familiar with them, but then there's so many layers to kind of dig through. It's almost like a movie or a book when you, you know, that's a classic. You think of Vertigo, Hitchcock's Vertigo. Every time you see it, you get something new out of it. 
Um, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Because the layers are, are subtle, and 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 you're at a different point in your life when you see it or, yeah. or listen to it, and so you're picking up different things. Good point. Good point. Okay, so you've got <laughs> you've got two songs going up the chart here, uh, top ten. Um, Tracy hit. Did Tracy hit number one? No, Tracy went top ten. Tracy went, went top nine. ten, and you've got yeah, Sugar, Sugar. Um, but they wanted you to, as we mentioned, continue on with the cufflinks, right? But you weren't able to do that. I, I was signed to to do a solo album for uh, Don Kirshner, and so it was impossible to do the uh, do more work for the cufflinks. And I told the producer; he got very upset. But I was committed, I, and I had told him in front. Uh, I was very clear. I said, "I'll do the single. If the single's a hit, I'll do one album for you." And, and, and that's our deal. And, and I, I owned up to it. I did exactly what I said I would do. But he was very upset. He thought I should do another two or three albums because I was the sound of the group. I, I couldn't. I had, I had a, a new deal with Don Kirshner that uh, gave me a brand new solo album. You know, uh, and, we, and, it, and it was right, right. Everything was right. I made all the right moves. Yeah, it was amazing. Well, and we talk about the Archies then. Five albums, correct? Five albums, yeah. Five that were put forward. Okay, take us behind Sugar Sugar how that song came to be and then how you thought when it just exploded. Well, it came to be very easily. Uh, the Archies had had two singles. Uh, the first one did very well, Bang Shang Alang, went top 20 and garnered a lot of attention. Second one was very good. I forget what it was, but the, they was needed it, uh, a third truck driver single. or feeling so good? Feeling so good, I think. Feeling so good. Right. And uh, they, needed, uh, they needed a big hit. So Kirshner called, uh, Don Kirshner called Jeff Barry and said, uh, you've got to come up with a, you know, what are you doing for the, the next single, a big single? So uh, Jeff Barry called up an artist he was producing called Andy Kim, named Andy Kim. And Andy Kim was a very talented singer-songwriter, finally had his own number one in Rock Me Gently later on many years, a couple years back. So Jeff Barry calls Andy Kim and says, Andy, we need a song for the Archies. And Andy's all of 19, 20 years old. He goes, how about something like sugar, ba 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 How about that? He just says it over the phone. <sighs> and Jeff says, get over here, let's write it. <laughs> and they write it, they write it in like a half hour. I mean, and then they re- we recorded it the same day. And I remember the track was, uh, they were working with these wonderful studio musicians, the top New York studio musicians who played on all the hits. All the hits were part of the Archie's band. Uh, they were great, great people. And... Uh, Jeff Barry, the producer, who had written and produced, I don't know, you know, written at least 30 hits in his time, from Hanky Panky to, uh, to uh, Be My Baby, of course, to uh, the Do Run Run, uh, Then He Kissed Me, a whole bunch of Ronettes hits. He was a very talented songwriter with his wife, Ellie. And uh, he worked on that track that, that day. A little extra work was on that track, especially the bass and the drums. And by the time I got there to do the session, the track was just being finished up. And he said, all right, here's the song. He sang it to me once. I went out and I put my voice on it. And uh, I, I doubled my voice. We added some backgrounds with a, a girl background singer who was uh, the Betty and Veronica, Miss Tony Wine. Tony Wine was a terrific singer. She sang I'm Gonna Make Your Life So Sweet on that uh, Sugar Sugar record. And uh, she also went on to write a hit song called Groovy Kind of Love, which <laughs> was unbelievable years later. So we had some very talented people, and I remember Jeff loved what the sound of the record. It was kind of like it had a beautiful figure, and ba 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 ba. You know, he got a great, interesting sound on that with an out of tune uh, piano, 
and a, and a marimba playing the figure. You say out of tune it, piano. What is okay? It was, it was a little out of tune. It was a little not perfect. It was one of those tack pianos. They put tacks on the strings, okay. so it gives it a little more edge. So and, intentionally uh, out of tune, or it's intentionally? It was just an old piano. <laughs> it was. It was. It just happened to be slightly out of tune, but nobody caught that, and it sounded great with the marimba. Yeah, and that was the figure that we played. And my friend Ron Frangipani, who had got me the job, he called and said, "Come over here." He's the one who played that figure on the piano. You know, so it was. It was a great time in the studio. We did wow. some hand clapping on it. A lot of hand clappings, and uh, Jeff Barry always loved to put hand claps on his records. Everybody clapped, and. Uh, he mixed it in like 20 minutes. He was a genius at the, at the board. He would just get up there and he said, oh, this is the sound, this is what it's going to be. And, and of course, you know, anything he touched was, was unbelievably uh, gold uh, in terms of mixing and stuff and writing. So that's the way we came out. And about a little while later, it came out and tore up the chart. Now, did it, it come out on like, Al as a single first or was it on the TV show first? It came out as a single first, and okay. they, they also they, they coordinated it so it would hit the TV show also. They they were very good at that. Oh wow! So how how close was that where people could go buy the record and then see it on the on television? Uh, uh, probably a month from the okay. debut of the single to the time the TV show uh, debuted it. Okay, could have been could have even been closer. I know Don Kirshner was a, a master at that. This is, uh, yeah, it's just amazing how these things are manufactured, and just all these years later, it seems like, wow, that was really cool, but it's like, man, these guys knew what they were doing. Um, What was the reaction from your friends, your family, um, hearing it, seeing it on the cartoon? Well, they were were super proud and super happy. Everybody was super happy. Um, One or two of my friends said, oh, man, it's it's, it's bubblegum music. Are you upset you'll be affiliated with I said, this is my job. This is what I've been doing all my life. I've always wanted to have a number one record as a singer. Here it is. It's the number one record in the country. It became number one in almost every country. I was number one in the UK for six weeks in, 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 on the UK BBC radio. And they, they were getting sick of it. It was being played so much. Every hour <laughs> on the hour, they would play Sugar Sugar. Same thing in the States. So, no, everybody was, I got, people were so happy to see that. I was thrilled. It was just to, to pick up all the trade papers and, and see the number one with a bullet was the phrase. And that means there's a big circle around the one that says you're, you're a substantial number one selling. That year it sold over six million records, mm. six million singles. That was an unbelievable amount of sales. That's crazy. It was the number one, one song one of 69, right? It was the number one song. Of, it beat out the Beatles, the Rolling Stones, and the Fifth Dimension oh. that year. I mean, it was an amazing accomplishment for the songwriter, the producer, Don Kirshner, and, of course, uh, myself as the singing voice. Now, any problems at all that you got Tracy, you've got Sugar Sugar, but we don't know Ron Dante. I mean, any problems at all that you had with that or was like, boy, I wish I wish my name were just like maybe in the corner somewhere (laughs) or were you just totally okay? I was totally okay with it. I was, I was fine. I had two records in the top 10. In the top 80, I had another ghost group, uh, 80 with a bullet, was called The Pearly Gate. They had a song called Free. That was another record that I had. I had three records on that chart that, that, that month. It was unbelievable. And I, I was fine with it. I signed on with the fact that was, I was supposed to be anonymous in both groups, and I, I lived up to my, uh, my deal. And it was just fine. I knew it would be good for me. I knew it would be good for a career to have to be the singing voice of these hit records. Uh, whether your name is on it or not, it did not matter to me. 
uh, in hindsight, maybe I should have had my name on it, but that was not the deal I could have gotten anyway at the time. Yeah. Uh, the Archies were going to be the Archies. Uh, there, was, there was no doubt it was going to be a cartoon group. When the record went number one, Ed Sullivan played the cartoon on his Sunday night show. Oh, wow. So, it was, so that was it, and I, I was totally fine with that. It also, I was singing commercials at the time. I was a commercial singer, too. I, I would sing for Coke, Pepsi, Dr. Pepper, uh, American Airlines, you name it, Budweiser. I sang for thousands and thousands of products yeah. because I, was a, I could sight read, and, I could, and I, that was a business. I, I was part of my business of singing was to actually uh, do commercials. So mm-hmm. my commercial stock went up like crazy. Wasn't there even an ad or something like with, with your picture? It was like this is the voice that you're hearing on everything. Yes, there was a big, <laughs> there was a huge campaign for a month in all the trades with pictures of me saying, "Do you do you know this guy? You don't know him, but you will know him. Yeah. He's the voice of Budweiser, Coke, Pepsi, the Archies, the Cufflinks." And yeah, there was a it was a genius campaign, and uh, it made everybody in radio, especially, aware of me. What did you think of the cartoon of the? You said you were a huge fan of Archie Andrews. You you know. You knew this cartoon back, these comic book characters back and forth. What did you think of the cartoon itself? They were coming from Filmation. They did a lot of stuff. Yeah, I thought it was very professional and uh, very nicely done. Uh, it, was, it, was good. it was good. It was, every, it was as good as anything else on Saturday morning, uh, only it had music. And the music set it apart. So they had these music videos in it every week. So I was very happy with the cartoon. I, you know, I thought it was, it was a little uh, simple in its own way, the, the, the cartoon show, you know, the, the, the motion of the, the characters and the drawings of the characters, the voices of the characters were, you know, Archie was not my favorite voice, the fellow who did the Archie voice, but uh, that's because I'm, you know, in, in, in essence, I'm a producer also, you know, mm-hmm. even as a young man, I was producing things. And, uh, but I, I thought it was very well done and it was the number one show in its time slot for a couple of years. So obviously they did something right, and Filmation was ahead of the time with music. They they realized cartoons could have music in them and groups, and uh, it, it it led to a whole slew of other things. The Partridge Family became p- popular again and uh, started to become popular. The, the Boogaloo's, all kinds of groups came out of that. Oh, Banana Splits, and uh, I think even yeah, the um, what was it the the Brady Kids? I think they were like everybody was doing music. Everybody had to have a band. Jackson Five had a Jackson cartoon 5. thing. Everybody was was doing it. It was great. Yeah, it was. Well, you talk about voices too. I always thought it was odd that they had um, Veronica's voice as like a Southern belle. Very strange. Because she's strange. not Southern. She, was, she never. She was not Southern. She was. She was lived in Riverdale, north of New York City. Yes. Okay. That's really. You know, she had an East. She should have had. Should have had an East Coast voice. Yeah. No, they missed on that, okay. uh, unfortunately. But nobody seemed to care. You know. Yeah. And where was Jughead in that in that opening theme song? That's a, if you look on YouTube, somebody even posted on that. It's like, where's Jughead? There's like these phantom yeah. drumsticks. Did they ever explain yeah, what no, that he, was? No, I, he's just he's he's the drummer. <laughs> uh, I mean, he's going to be looking very cool in the new live action Archies that is coming out. It There's is, a, yeah. Show, Riverdale. Riverdale's is coming out. Are you yeah. are you pumped for that? I'm pumped for that. I think it's great for the brand. It, it takes the Archies in way deep into the 2000s. And uh, it's a good. I hope it works. Have the producers works. talked to you at all about anything musical cameos? Any because we know the um, Greg Berlanti producing it. He's the Flash Supergirl. I mean, he's bringing in all these nostalgic characters from past iterations. Have has anybody talked to you about doing anything for Riverdale? 
Actually, my agent has contacted them and talked about me doing cameo or writing a song for them. So there's a possibility that may happen. So we, wow, okay, so we might get a new Ron Dante, Archie song. Yeah, easy. It happened. Are, are, you all, are the gears already turning? Are you starting to get ideas for it? Yes, it would be very simple to put that together. I mean, they're still teenagers. They're still going through the same love things, the same uh, honor things as, as, as teenagers. The emotions don't change. You know, the, the way they dress might, but not the way the, the emotions are still there. And so I can still put together a couple of great songs for them. Will it include the word baby? <laughs> you know, that's a good idea. <laughs> Why not? I'm so looking forward to this. Uh, look, we got a couple of these other ones too. Um, Jingle Jangle, um, Who's Your Baby, Sunshine. I mean, how many – do you have a favorite of the Archie's? you got five albums. And there's even a – was it like a social commentary on the Vietnam War? The Archie's did a, an oh, album about the Vietnam summer, War? No, it's just a song that we put out okay. called Summer Prayer, Summer Prayer for Peace which is a very odd Archie song because they're speaking in it. We, 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 give, the, the, uh, we give totals of how many people live in Indonesia or, or in France. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a very, very sophisticated Archie's record. I mean, and it was number one in South Africa. For some reason, people in South just love that, that song, Summer Prayer for Peace. But that was the only thing we did. You know, we've had a couple, you know, we got very, uh, later on in the, in the series, the, the third and fourth uh, year, uh, they, the writers were changed and they started to be socially conscious, talking about pollution and different mm -hmm. things and loving people. But, uh, yeah, it was, it was an interesting time to, to make music because everything was changing from 68 to 72 when, when the Archies were on. It was, it was an, a, a big change, a big change. You, you couldn't believe how we went from, you know, one type of uh, happiness to psychedelic music and then war protest. It was an interesting time. Was that, I mean, which, which do, you, do you prefer either or do you kind of like both? I kind of like both. I think it's fine. My favorite is, of course, is Sugar Sugar mm -hmm. because it, it's like, it's my baby. That song, that that it's record. Baby. It's like it, it'll always be a baby again because it, <laughs> it it did so much for my life, and and I was so happy to be a part of it with that great team of people. Uh, so it, it holds a special place for me, and uh, of course, other things, uh, you know, other songs come up. There's some of the earlier songs. People like like this one. They like Melody Hill. They like. Um, like different songs. I wrote a song for the Archies called Everything's All Right, which a lot of people like and request at my shows. For, for, it, it's just, I found, I, I, in the third album, I got to write and produce a bunch of stuff. And it was, it was a lot of fun to be uh, the writer-producer of the Archies instead of just the voice. So it was a great time. And I think people think that, because um, they always show Betty and Veronica on Jingle Jangle, but you're the actual falsetto on that, aren't you? I'm doing the the majority of the lead is is myself. And Tony Wine, uh, the girl singer who did "I'm Going to Make Your Life So Sweet," does all the answers on that record. You okay. can hear her, and you can you can hear the difference between the two voices. I was doing my best falsetto because the, uh, originally they wanted Tony to sing Tony Wine to sing the whole song, but it, it didn't sound right, so they wanted me to sing it in my falsetto, which I did. I said it's a cartoon character; he can sing any voice—a bass voice, a falsetto voice. It's a cartoon character, you know. They're magical. You know. Yeah, uh, that's well, look and talk about cartoon characters, comic book characters. Let's talk about one of your strangest projects, uh, the, <laughs> the 1972, the Amazing Spider-Man from Beyond the Grave, a rock comic. 
Okay, were you a fan of Spider-Man? Were you familiar with the character at all? And how did you get into the world of Marvel Comics and Spider-Man? Well, I was very fortunate because I was a studio singer, a demo singer, a jingle singer during those years. Everybody knew me, and the fellow who wrote all the songs, there were like three or four songs in this rock comic because it's a real radio show with real sound effects and actors and a story, the original story of Spider-Man, how he became Spider-Man, what happened. It's a, it's a very classic album. And the, the guy who wrote the, the songs called me. And I, said, I forget his name. He's somebody. He, he Stephen Lemberg. Steve Lemberg, I had some, done uh, some of his demos over the years. So he knew me. He called me up one day. He said, would you, would you come in and be the voice of Spider-Man? I said, yes, I love, <laughs> I love Spider-Man. This is like a gift. Of course, I'll be there. Name the date and time. Uh, it was like, I, I love that character. I, I used to read Spider-Man all, all along as a kid growing up, along with Archie's and, and Strange Tales. Spider-Man was my third best. Mm. So uh, I went in and he showed me the songs. I said, these are great. He, he did some really good tracks. And I became that voice of, 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 the, of the young Spider-Man, the teenage Spider-Man. And it was, it was a great kick. And I, when I finally saw the, the final product, the final the open up album with all the all the all the uh, the cartoon on it and everything. I said, "This is a beautiful package," yeah. and I'm so, I was so proud to be part of it. And it's a little known fact that I was the voice of Spider Man too. Yeah, is, I'm glad you brought it up. Well, what's cool too is because we you know we know um, again it's the you got the singing voice. So there's a, an Archie Andrews, but then you get to sing the Archie Andrews songs. Uh, is it Renee Abergenois? Is yeah, the, the actor, the, very good actor, has been in a ton of movies. Yeah, we see him in Star Trek Deep Space Nine. He's one of our favorites. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so you're getting you know to do the the singing voice of Spider Man on this too. Again, the '70s, really different time. I think at that point, and, and what was your take on? It? Because this is a very, it leans more toward an adult audience. This this particular project, I think Stan Lee was trying to take Marvel Comics to a different. I mean, just the theme from Spider Man. Were you curious at all about the lyric referring to Spidey as a sex machine? No, I kind of loved it. It was, it was, it, 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 it was cool. You got to realize Spider-Man is a cool brand, and and, and the fans are more uh, sophisticated. So it, this is waved away from the Archies, which was a preteen thing mostly. It was mostly aimed at uh, you know preteen eleven to thirteen year olds. Okay. Uh, but it, uh, it, 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 the music grabbed everybody. Adults were, were dancing to Sugar Sugar, but Spider-Man thing was aimed at a little more sophisticated audience. So I was fine with that. I thought it was very cool. Did that strike you as odd at all when you saw? Because when you think Spider Man, you think you know the 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 '60s cartoon, you know, does whatever a spider can and all these different. And then all of a sudden, there's like some of these adult themes and like even you know the the battles you know between Spider Man and the Kingpin. It just gets really dark. Um, You know, well, I mean, it's called from beyond the grave too. So yes, no, no, it was it was a very adult theme. Did that surprise you at all when that came your way? No, I, I was very pleasantly um, happy with it. I, <laughs> I, I thought it was a, a good move yeah. to uh, to take it to that level because this is an album that people can buy. It's expensive. Uh, this is not this is not a single, you know, for a dollar. This was an expensive album uh, with beautiful graphics on it and a, a poster inside. I mean, it was, a, it was a very very expensive package they put out. On, I think it was Buddha Records. Yeah, Buddha Records, very high concept, very high concept yeah. album. Um, did you get to I, meet Stan Lee at all? I did not, not at the time, but I did meet him at Comic-Con type things uh, in the future years. Okay. And I mentioned I was the voice on that, but he, he's, he's just spread out so much, you know, he's got <laughs> so much going. Yeah. yeah. But the funny thing is, when you mention something to him, he he acts as if he remembers it clearly, and you're the most important person in his life right then. 
he does yeah, a very good job with it. You talk about showman. I mean, you know, talk about P.T. Barnum and, and Don Kirshner. You got to throw yeah. Stan Lee in there as well, too. Well, it's a it's an incredible project. Um, do you a, a favorite song from that at all? Uh, you know, grow like a spider, grow like a man, spider man. I've grown cross town or something. I forget the title of it, but it was a great track. There's going cross town, yeah. Yeah, I got to really dig in vocally, and that's one of my favorite tracks. Also, the the ballad. There's a big ballad on there that I like. There's a groove to be free and stronger the man. Yeah, right. Free. It's such a groove to be free. Yeah, very cool. I really like that one. Yeah, it's an amazing... Now, the, one of the projects you mentioned that sort of springboarded out of the Archies, uh, The Amazing Chan and the Chan Clan. Okay, yes. another one of these, uh, you know, the kids get this rock group together. Is Barry Manilow on some of these songs? Uh, he's playing in the band. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's awesome! Yes, he, he, did, he did a background voice. Uh, he and Melissa Manchester were friends. I was start, just starting to work with Barry uh, on, on developing his solo career, but uh, he he ended up playing keyboard and uh, sang some background parts with me on on the Chan Clan. Yeah, that was another filmation project. Don Kirshner brought it in, and I wrote uh, ten songs for it, and uh, it, it really had a lot of fun. I wrote it with a good lyricist named Howie Greenfield, Howie Greenfield who wrote "Love Will Keep Us Together" and tons of big hits in the '60s. Uh, Calendar Girl for Neil Sedaka and Happy Birthday Sweet Sixteen. He wrote all the lyrics for the Chan Clan with me. I wrote the melodies. He wrote the lyrics. But that was a great project, and it was the first uh, cartoon series of its kind based on uh, Charlie Chan. Yeah. What does Barry Manilow say when you when you say to him, "Hey, I'd like you to to appear on some Chan Clan records"? Does well, he even he know what any of that is? He, did, he was fine. He was a session musician and okay. singer. He, he, he was like a pro. He said, I, whatever you're doing, we did a, 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 a children's TV series uh, announcing all the, all the new shows coming out uh, with a basketball player named Jerry Lucas. And it was a, it was a big three-hour special. And he's in this band uh, with a flower shirt. And I'm, I'm, I'm part of the band, too, announcing all the new shows coming up on ABC. Don Kirshner put that together again. So there's a video of him in the band okay. uh, somewhere. You know. I guess this is sort of early Barry Manilow because we we think you know when we think Barry Manilow now we think you know Barry Manilow and it just it's so odd to the but this this is sort of the two of you working together very early on right very early on yeah 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 Barry had not not even started to work uh, and have hits with Bette Midler which he was uh, working with it was very early on and uh, we're all you know in the trenches. You know, I had had some success, so I, w- I was like the lead guy. I could I could get projects for us and labels to get interested. And what was it like to work with him? Because you were with him for quite a while, and this is producing records. Is this uh, touring at all? No. What, what's uh, it, just producing the records? What is it like to you know when when your talent comes together with that? Just you know, describe just that level of music for us. Well, it, it, we, we, what we bring to it is our individual talents. But when two people get together who are uh, very good to work with, that when they know their chemistry is good uh, musically, uh, you get a, it, it works and it gets even better. It gets enhanced. And uh, Barry's a super talented singer, arranger, songwriter. And I, w- I had my success with my uh, songwriting and my singing and my producing. So the two of us together, it was, it was, it was a one-two punch. And uh, great things came out of it because I was like his pop sensibility. I was very much into pop music. He had a background of jazz and Broadway. 
plus pop music. So, so I, w- I would be like his pop sensibility. I'd say, no, that we have to go this direction with the album and choose this song and, and produce it this way. So that was was like it was it was really easy working with Barry because he respected my my talent and my instincts and uh, let me choose the studio and the musicians and, uh, you know, make sure the sounds were perfect and the songs were were compatible with his voice, the right keys. So it was a it was a great working experience. Uh, It was very smooth. Uh, We would knock out an album in like a month and a half, two months and do a brand new album sometimes. It was just it was very easy to work with Barry because he's so musical. When you work with somebody so musical, everything flows. Everything goes in the studio, and, and, and you bring your best game. And, we had the, of course, we hired the top musicians to work with us and the top engineer uh, to work with us, top studio. Uh, everybody was bringing you know, their best. One of my favorite, uh, probably my favorite Barry Manilow song, Ready to Take a Chance Again. Uh, what did you think the first time you heard it in the movie Foul Play, when, you, when it's just boom right there in the, in the movie theaters? Well, I was so happy because we, we took an up-tempo song written by Charlie Fox and Norman Gimbel, who are very famous songwriters, uh, and we, we slowed it down to make it a ballad for Barry. And then we orchestrated it beautifully for an opening titles because it was going to be at the opening of the movie for Foul Play. So we worked hard on it. We, we did it on both coasts. We recorded it both in Los Angeles and, and uh, New York City and came up with the final uh, mix that we liked. And when I saw it in the mu- movie, I was thrilled because they really spotlighted the song. It happens perfectly in the opening five or six minutes. And uh, it was, I, was, I was thrilled to be part of uh, the movie business, yeah. to see our names. It, it even said created by uh, Barry Manilow and Ron Dante as the production credit right under the song. So... It was, it was, I was thrilled. And, and I, I remember going to the studio and listening to the transfer from my tape to their, to their film stock. And I even had them do it two or three times until we got the, because I, I thought it was a little too thin, the transfer that they made to the film stock. And they said, no, this is going to be in a big movie theater. This has to be a very full sound. So I made them transfer it like two or three times until it got the right sound on the uh, audio. So you, you took an, um, you said you took an umtempo song. Was it, Something that already existed, then they wanted it for the movie, or was it written for the movie and then changed during the course? It was, it was a song written for the movie okay. that the director right. liked, and he was fine to go with it. He said, but I want a, a famous artist to sing it, and they brought it to the record company, and we heard it and, and said yes. So they liked the and version that was up-tempo. They liked the song. Okay. They, they, didn't, they didn't know if they liked that version or not. They wanted a famous person to sing it. Okay. And so when you get a famous person, they bring their, the, fa- the famous artist brings their own style to the song. You know, if it had been a country artist they've got, it would have been a country song, you know? Okay. So, yeah, so, they're, so you just go in and just complete it. Yeah, it's just, I can't imagine, it's, it's one of the greatest opening songs for a movie of all time. I mean, it's just, it's amazing. As you mentioned, you know, you're sweeping over San Francisco there and, and just hearing that. It's, it's just incredible. Um, the director asked us to put a, he said there's a big shot of the, of the, the, the helicopter takes off during the very first shot. And uh, could you put something in there that indicates musically that we're, we're taking off and, you know, the helicopter's shot is going to be looking at the bridge and, the, you know, the water. And so we put an incredible uh, string and harp gliss in there that just came from low to high. And uh, it, it, if you listen to it, you can see it, you'll see that it works perfectly with the, uh, with this, with the video. Yeah, it's it's absolutely great. Uh, we talked about a lot of these songs uh, with the Archies, uh, the Cufflinks, and Chan Clan, and all these different things. Um, all kind of grouped together, bubblegum music. Uh, how do you feel about that term? 
Uh, I'm fine with it. Uh, it, it. I have no problem. For it. We didn't make music for like uh, you know 20 year olds, 30 year olds. We the music, the bubblegum music of the Archies was made for uh, preteens and young teens, bubblegum kids, you know. And so we didn't want to compete with the Rolling Stones or, or you know the Beatles or, uh, or the Who. You know, or any of those groups. I mean, so we, the fact that they said, called it bubblegum, it was fine. It probably came off the the group, the 1910 Fruit Gum Company, which had hits also at that time. One, two, three, red light, simple Simon says, again, made for very young teenagers and preteens. So I have no problem with it. I hope someday the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame puts in a, a, a category called bubblegum rock and inducts four or five of these groups that, uh, you know, the Ohio Express that had Yummy, Yummy, Yummy and the 1910 Fruit Gum Company, the Archies, uh, a couple of the other wonderful, fun groups that, because they all have credibility and they, and people love those songs. The songs still live today. Uh, you hear them in commercials and films. Uh, so it's, I have no problem with the, with the phrase bubble gum. And with people try to put the music down, I say to them, great musicians played on these records and really talented songwriters wrote the songs and good singers sang them. And I, I'm, I'm talking about the whole, uh, the whole bunch of uh, bubblegum records. Even Tommy Rowe is thrown into there, and he's a terrific writer, a terrific song singer uh, of uh, pop stuff. Tommy James is thrown in there once in a while with Hanky Panky. But he's a, he's a terrific, credible artist, and both of them still performing today. So uh, I have no problem with that term. What advice would you have for musicians just trying to break into the biz right now? I say uh, write your best songs and keep writing. Record them because now you can record them on a computer. Uh, all the sounds are there. Uh, get your songs recorded. Then put them up on, on, on the sites, the Internet sites that are out there to expose your songs. Uh, play in gigs and develop an audience. Uh, you know, stretch beyond your borders. If you're in Cincinnati, you know, get, get national if you can. Uh, travel. Uh, perform. Uh, that's that's all I can say. It, it's it's much more competitive today. There's many more uh, people out there doing what you do. So you've got to do something that kind of makes you unique in some way. Make sure that you you get some originality into your music. Don't just copy what the person you, you know the artists that you like and reproduce them. Definitely get in there and do something original and unique. Break some boundaries. I know it's so difficult to to catch lightning in a bottle, but you and your team so many years ago did. Just hit after hit after hit after hit. Is there a secret to getting the hook or to tapping into something in pop culture? Is there were there things that you were looking for that that recording artists might now kind of look at? I'm, I'm not sure. I, I, I wish there was a secret. I, it it's called hard work. Be <laughs> honest with yourself and and get and, and and up your game as much as possible. Always don't fall in love with your work. Uh, definitely move ahead each time and say, this is good, let's make it better. Uh, and keep at it and don't let people discourage you. That's one of the most important things. People get discouraged after the first few years because they think, oh, everybody, everybody's telling them you should get a job or you're wasting your time with music. I always tell them, persevere, keep doing it. Uh, your heart knows what's right. And uh, if, if you have a calling for this, go do it. And find a way to do it in front of people and, 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 and create. And uh, that's its own success, is just, just doing the creation. It's very important. So uh, I wish there was a secret. Uh, my, my secret was more and more and more. Just keep doing a lot of it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and, and collaborate with as many people as you can. Don't just lock yourself into one, one group of people or one person. 
uh, work with many people, different influences. Because uh, when two people get together, sometimes magic happens. And speaking of more and more and more, you mentioned uh, an upcoming project. August, we're looking at this uh, this album that's coming out, the 16 yes, Ghost Songs. Be, Do you have yes, a title for it? Antho- it'll be an anthology, just a Ron Dante anthology. Uh, one, it'll be a two-CD set. One CD will have about 16 of my ghost groups on it. The other CD will have cuts, four or five cuts, from each of the solo albums and the, the albums I did in the 70s. And this is uh, when Barry, Barry Manilow was producing for you, right? Yes. You kind of flip-flopped a, it? That's right. He produced a bunch of things for me at Arista Records. And even RCA, we did a version of Sugar Sugar, a dance version of Sugar Sugar together. Is that going to be on this one? Yes. yes. Sugar Sugar Disco, it's called. And yes. It's very cool. Oh, that's now I'm really stoked. Now I'm really yeah. stoked for this thing. What else you got working on? What else are you working on right now? Well, I'm, I'm in the studio producing uh, two acts. I'm always looking for young and new uh, singers, and I found uh, a good friend of mine is a, a hit singer from the 60s. His name is Chris Montez. He had a hit called Let's Dance and The More I See You and stuff. Anyway, Chris has a 16-year-old daughter named Ryan who sings like uh, Selena Gomez, and she's very pretty and really good performer, and I'm producing her now. I've just written three or four songs for her with my partner, Al Kasia, and uh, I've taken her into the studio, and we'll be, we'll be uh, taking her around to the labels in, in, in uh, the summer. Uh, also working with two girls from um, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, uh, Morgan and Tyler, two, they're like two young Beyonce's, only they're sisters, and uh, I'm working with them. So I'm, I'm really, I, I always keep in the studio, I keep myself busy, uh, I also do live shows all over the country, and uh, I just got off a cruise, a Royal, Royal Caribbean cruise, and I'm doing another major cruise uh, March 18th next year out of Miami, uh, uh, called Legends of Rock. Uh, so I'll be doing that with uh, guys from Foreigner, Boston, Kansas. There'll be all kinds of great groups on there oh, with wow. me. That's going to be yeah, amazing. So well, you're not slowing down at all. And you mentioned some of these appearances. I think in uh, May, you're going to be in Brookfield, New York? Yes, Brookfield, New York. Yeah. July, Springfield, New Jersey? Yes. September 10th. You're going to be uh, probably as close to me as you can get. Pittsburgh, PA. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to be about three hours away. I might have to pop over there. And uh, we're just putting together the venue. It's, it's not been uh, confirmed yet. Okay, on, that one's on hold. But if it confirms, I'll see you there. Getting close to Pittsburgh. Hopefully, uh, I'll see you there. And then, uh, boy, you got dates coming. How can fans find out when these dates are confirmed? Where you're going to be? Facebook, website, social network, Twitter. Yeah. Where are you? Yeah, Facebook, Ron Dante, Ron Dante and the Archies. Those are two sites uh, that are on Facebook. Uh, also, it's rondante.com. Anybody wants to uh, take a look at my schedule. Fantastic, and you can get a hold of you there. You you respond. You <laughs> you talk yeah, to your yeah, fans no, out I, there. I try to respond as many f- fans uh, as I get. Uh, I, I do my best, but yeah, I, there's a, there's an email on uh, on my website that says if you'd like to make a request of Ron Dante, please do. We will definitely check you out on tour at these dates, uh, man. Ron, I'm telling you what, it's been a blast revisiting these songs. That some of the bands might have been fictional. <laughs> your talent is real. We know that. That is amazing. We wouldn't have these crazy cool sounds without you. Continued success. I hope I get to see you on tour. Uh, And thanks for celebrating 75 years of Archie with us today on Comic Book Central. Yeah, I love Archie. I love the characters and love Riverdale. All the digital music players here in the lair are loaded with Archie's tracks. I've got the turntable spinning with the way out wax wonders of the web spinners. My thanks to Ron Dante for joining me today and for his part in bringing us these incredible, incredible, timeless tunes. I will say this, Ron was a tad under the weather when we recorded that interview, so 
I am truly grateful for his time and for him doing that. I know he wanted to do a little bit more singing for everybody, uh, but he mentioned his voice wasn't really where he wanted it to be. So I really appreciate him taking the time to do the interview. That said, if you want the full Ron Dante musical experience, and we all want that, catch him live in concert. You got to go see him. His upcoming dates are on his website, and he posts on social media all the time. Facebook, it's The Archies with Ron Dante. Twitter, at Ron Dante. The website, naturally, rondante.com. All those links, you can find them in the show notes at my website, comicbookcentral.net. 75 years of Archie. We are off to an incredible start here in Comic Book Central. Working on some other episodes, so stay tuned. I'm hoping to get some surprises coming your way. And Archie and the gang are coming back in a big, big way, as you heard on the show today. We talked about Arrow, Flash, and Supergirl producer Greg Berlanti. He is bringing Archie back to the CW this time in a pilot called Riverdale. We'll see if that works out. That'd be awesome. Uh, Also, we broke some exclusive news right here today that Ron Dante is interested in cooking up some musical ideas for that series. So that was amazing to hear. If there are some Ron Dante tunes on that show, Riverdale... You heard about it here first on Comic Book Central. Also, talks are still ongoing about bringing the Archie characters to Broadway for a musical. I uh, haven't really heard any more updates on that, but we'll keep a, keep an ear out for that. Uh, and in the world of comics, I have to be honest, I don't know exactly what's going on there. I know a friend of the show, Michael Uslan, he wrote a few issues. I have those ones where Archie married Veronica uh, in one reality. He married Betty in another one. Uh, The late, great Stan Goldberg, he did the artwork on those issues. So glad I got to meet him a few years back. Uh, He was at a convention in Cincinnati with Michael Uslan. So that was was a treat for me. Uh, Legendary writer Paul Kupperberg, uh, he worked on both of those stories. He worked them into an alternate universe in the comics. Then he killed off Archie in one of the books. Uh, there's a version of Archie that killed... I don't know, there's zombies in some of them. There's soap opera tales in another. I don't know what they're doing with Archie these days. But, look, me personally, I like my Archie gang with corny jokes and groovy songs. But, hey, that's just me. They're coming back for a new generation. It's good to see... Oh, man, three quarters of a century in. People are still talking about Archie. So, we're going to see what happens. I don't know. If I can get, ever get Berlani on the show, maybe I'll ask him about it. Frank Berlani, come on the show. Uh, hey, something else that's coming back. This excited me. Match Game. Come on, you longtime listeners know I love me some Match Game. Listener Jason Levy, he wrote in to tell me that my favorite game show of all time, Match Game, is coming back. He sent me the link to the article that Alec Baldwin is going to be hosting the new show for ABC this summer. Jason, thank you for sending me that article. Yes, Alec Baldwin is hosting The Shadow himself. The Shadow knows. He knows all about Match Game. Yes, I have been reaching out to try to get Alec Baldwin on the show for quite some time. Now, I do want to talk to him about The Shadow. So, as you can imagine, he's quite busy. So, working on it, working on it, working on it. We're going to see what happens. But, again, you longtime listeners of Comic Book Central know I love Match Game. I just played a few rounds recently with Ed Asner and Susan Sullivan. If you haven't heard those episodes, go back and check them out. That was fun. Um, now, how do I get to be a contestant for real on this show? That's what I want to find. I've got to get on this new version of Match Game. How does it happen? Why don't you listeners do a write-in campaign? Start a write-in campaign to get me on the show. That'd be cool. Write-in. 
get me on the show. See what we can do about that. And thank you for writing in, Jason. I really appreciate it. Thanks for sending me that link. Folks, I do want to hear from you, just like Jason, just like Jeremy for his guest suggestion today. Drop me a line, joe at comicbookcentral.net. And be sure to keep up with the show. Stream it at the website, comicbookcentral.net. All the episodes are in the archive. If you haven't heard those past episodes, go check them out. Subscribe in iTunes. You do not want to miss what's coming up. Teaser in just a few minutes as to what's coming up here. Blueberry and Stitcher. If you don't use iTunes, you can find us on those services. Facebook and Twitter. It's facebook.com slash comicbookcentralnetwork. Twitter at comicbookctrl. I post the links to the show every Saturday. If you can retweet those and share those, share the lair. Get the word out. I really appreciate when you folks do that each and every week. And last reminder, last chance to get Comic Book Central nominated for a People's Podcast Award. Nominations close today if you're listening on the premiere date. So make sure your voice is heard. If you love the show, if you like what you're hearing, if you love hearing about Ron Dante and the Archies, nominate the show in the People's Choice category as well as the TV and film category. Instructions, you head to Facebook, Twitter. I posted them on there, so go like and follow. My thanks to all of you listeners who have done just that. Let's get Comic Book Central nominated. That would be awesome. All right, kids, that's it for today. I'm going to go learn some new dance moves from Jughead. Uh, Who knows? Maybe I'll try them out on Dancing with the Stars. That'd be cool, right? But fear not, true believers. I'll be swinging back soon because next week on Comic Book Central, you just heard from the Spider-Man Rock Comics singing Spider-Man. Next week, we'll hear from the Rock Comics swinging Spider-Man. He was the voice of Peter Parker and the wonderful web spinner in that story. You've seen him on television in episodes of Wonder Woman and the Bionic Woman. He was in Arkham Asylum in Batman Forever. You just might have seen him on the promenade of Star Trek Deep Space Nine as Odo. I am continuing my year-long celebration of Star Trek's 50th anniversary with actor Rene Aubergenois. In fact, get ready for back-to-back episodes of Star Trek. That is what's headed your way. Until then, keep on dancing. Keep reading those comics. Thanks for joining me here in the lair. Comic Book Central, where comic books come to life. This podcast is intended for entertainment and education purposes only. All original content of this podcast is the intellectual property of Comic Book Central and is licensed under Creative Commons Attribution, Non-Commercial, No Derivations, 3.0 Imported License. All the content and names are registered trademarks and copyrights of the respective holders. Such a mystery to me.